okay, peeps, there's only two reasons I'm going to fire you. And they all looked at me completely <laughs> like, why are you saying this? And I said, one is that you're bad at your jobs. And I said, I can categorically see that is not a thing here. I said, two is that you agree with me on everything. I don't want you to agree with me on everything. If we all agree with each other, then we're not the right team. Your job's at stake. Yeah. If you, if you agree with everything. Welcome back to Lead the Team with number one best-selling author and in-demand corporate trainer, Ben Fanning. On this podcast, the world's most innovative senior leaders share their top success strategies to motivate your direct reports, cultivate your top leaders, and accelerate your career. Let's get started. Here's Ben. Hey there, Lead the Team Nation. Welcome back to another great episode. Today, I have for you Danielle Dutois, who is president of Seat Geeks Enterprise Business, and she joined them back at the start of 2019 at the launch of its enterprise business and has grown SeatGeek's client roster to include hundreds of global organizations at the league and team level across the NFL, Major League Baseball, NBA, NHL, English Premier League, golf, tennis, motorsports, any sports league that you can name. She's probably been engaged with them. And SeatGeek, in case you're not familiar with them, they were built back in 2019 as the only mobile ticketing marketplace created with fan experience top of mind. If you've been to a sporting event, you've probably used SeatGeek. Now, prior to SeatGeek, Danielle held similar roles in fast-paced growth businesses at Salesforce, Cheetah Digital, Bullhorn, and Exact Target. She's also been recognized as a sports business journal game changer and a notable woman in sports by Cranes, New York, a native Zimbabwean with an extremely cool accent, which you're about to hear. She earned a physics and computer science degree from Rhodes University in South Africa. Danielle, welcome to Lead the Team. Ben, thank you so much for having me. I'm delighted to be here. Woo! Cannot <laughs> wait to dig, dig in because I know about SeatGeek and I love sports and I find the business behind all this so fascinating. But first, let's dig into your amazing background. So something happened to you when, I guess it was 23 years ago or at the age of 23, uh, that changed the way you worked from there on out. Really transformative. What was that experience? Ben, fantastic question. And yes, it did completely change. So we don't have time for it today, but my uh, my career story has definitely been a windy, windy, mm. a windy, windy journey. Um, so much so that I really don't believe in career paths. I don't believe in planning. I believe your career is more of an adventure than a ladder. Oh. Um, but truly, that particular uh, scenario, so there was a job that I wanted. My boyfriend and I at the time were moving city. My career started off, so I studied physics and computer science. My career started off at 21 years old, teaching computer science, um, and many of the people that I was teaching computer science to were just a couple of years younger than me. Mm. Um, anyway, I did that for a couple of years. And then my boyfriend and I were moving city and I saw this job. And then back in the day, uh, jobs were actually in newspapers. Um, so it, <laughs> You it, can remember back then. Yes. I remember back uh -huh. then. So I was uh, teaching computer science. I was in a city called Grahamstown and I saw on the staff notice board, I saw this 
job description cut out from a newspaper. And it was for IT director of this very fancy all-girls school in the city Cape Town that my boyfriend and I were moving to. And I saw that job description and I was like, that is my job. And um, anyway, then moved to Cape Town, had to go and see the recruiters and met the recruiters. And they said, what in the world are you doing applying for this job? So the job was looking for someone that had 15 years experience managing an IT network. Uh, I had zero. 15 years management experience. I had zero. Um, But I was absolutely convinced that it was my job. Um, And they told me, you know, in in more polite words, to get lost promptly. So I thought, okay, fine. Like, they clearly aren't, like, thinking right. So I contacted the head of the school and said, I want to come and meet you for a cup of coffee because I am your new IT director. And I think she was quite horrified. (laughs) (laughs) So bold. (laughs) So bold. And uh, she was was a rather formidable woman herself. And so I think she was very uh, surprised that I had done this. Um, Anyway. Long story, but I got that job. And what I really hadn't considered, like I was so clear that this was my job, I hadn't considered the fact that I was now going to become a leader. It Mm. really hadn't, it just didn't occur to me. But I started this new job. I was 23 years old. I was a pipsqueak, you know, truly a pipsqueak. Um, I was managing people who in some case had 20 years more experience than me. Um, And they must have thought, like, who in the world is this pipsqueak and what is she doing here? But Ben, the reason I'm so incredibly delighted that I got that role and I got to work with those human beings who were remarkable, talented human Mm -hmm. beings Mm -hmm. is because it really set how I operate as a leader. Because at 23 years old, when you're working with people that have significantly more experience than you and people who have significantly more depth of skill set than you, you can't just tell people what to do and assume that because of a hierarchy that you get to instruct them and that they will willingly comply. And I also had, I had large aspirations. Like I really wanted to blow up how everything operated. I wanted to do triple what we were doing with half the budget. Like I had large aspirations, but in order to get what I needed to get out of that team, I really had to learn how to inspire and influence Mm. versus command. And I think it really changed or maybe set the tone for how I would become as a leader. And I think because I had to do it so young, like I really had to develop that skills. Like how do you Mm. do inspire, inspiring people? And I think, you know, what we did was truly remarkable as a team but it really put me on this path and actually really created in me these true deep beliefs around leadership that it's not about power or glory. It's around like how are you serving your team so that you're able to get out the incredible things that you can get out of multiple different brains that you as an individual, because as a leader, that is what you are actually. It's just an individual that you cannot do alone. Yeah, such a great story. And great that it happened at the age of 23. I can see coming in. Hey, I'm the boss. They're going to follow me. But eventually, it sounds like you learn that all following eventually becomes voluntary, even if they report to you. So you got to rely on your influence. And so what was the outcome of that? Did they eventually follow you once you changed your, your tactics? 
Yeah. You know, I mean, it's actually like I didn't, I never changed my tactics because I think I realized on day one, like, oh, okay, you got it out first. This is not going to so work. Like, yeah. like, this would not work. And also, it's like, that's not my desire to operate like that. And I think, mm-hmm. honestly, um, like, I look back on that time and that those people, so I was there for three years with such joy. Um, and I think, the all of them would report i think you could contact any of them is all of them would report that they loved working with me that it was mm. a way that we did incredible things as a team that we were really close as a team so i think that the the result of working like that was powerful um and i think i truly believe it is own, the only way to operate as a leader so that's very insightful that you got in there and you did it right out of the gate i know me at that age that was probably not my approach was there did you have role models early in your life or have you kind of always been this more reflective leader where you you know kind of come in and and, and take that approach you know i think i mean it's 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 quite funny ben because if i look back to me as a child is to, you know like to the point is like i wanted to be like an entomologist so study bugs Yes, yes. I wanted to be the boss, but the only reason I wanted to be the boss was because I didn't like anyone telling me what to do. Hmm. And I think like that empathy of like, I don't like being told what to do. So why would anyone want to be told what to do? Hmm. Like was actually like within me from a child. Um, And so I think it was almost, I mean, also as a child, I was very reflective, like I liked alone time, still love alone time. Um, But I think like it's, you know, the reflection and the observation of people um, and what gives them joy and what doesn't give them joy and what, you know, brings the best out of them and what doesn't. I think that that DNA has always existed. I just happen to translate it into leadership. Yeah. And what an interesting thing. You're like, a lot of people would say, well, I don't want anybody telling me what to do, but then they instantly go to, so I'm going to tell other people what to do. (laughs) And you're like, wait, 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 I don't really like that. So a lot of other people probably wouldn't like that. Also, so you're kind of born with this leadership and also paired with empathy, which is obviously served you well in your career. Now your team tells me to ask you about flower markets (laughs) and leadership. What do they mean by that? What's going on? So Ben, so my my team think that I'm the queen of random analogies, um, <laughs> okay. and I have I actually have a very visual brain, um, and I like analogies come to me kind of instantaneously, and some of them are really really random. Um, so I uh, it this so this is interesting. So that that first job that I had, that second job, so it was my second job, but first job as a leader when I was 23 years old. And um, one of the guys on my team, the advertar, started calling me DDT. So kind of my initials, um, unfortunately, also a poison. But anyway, DDT. And I'm <laughs> poison still... <laughs> and a great acronym, memorable. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm still, it's funny, still work-wise, I'm called DDT. Um, but anyway, the, the team said, they gave me the example of the, the flower gardens as a what they call a DDT-ism. Like, it's just like so typical of one of the random analogies that I would come up as a leader. Um, and the reason that I was using the flower garden analogy was to talk about like how diligent we have to be when we're adding new things to our plate. Can I share the mm. random analogy with you? Love it, it yes. It is random. Okay, so um, 
Many years ago, I traveled to India and I was there for about six weeks. Um, and India is so visually stunning. The history is remarkable. It's just like really gets you to the core. It's so incredibly beautiful. You know, the country is also deeply burdened by poverty. Um, but from a visual component, it is remarkable. And one of the things that I remember so, so deeply was the Calcutta Flower Gardens. And they are just, you know, it's all of these ancient, ancient buildings in the background. There's women walking through the garden and they're like vivid colored saris. And then there are these piles of beautiful fresh flowers. And every day, piled mm. of new fresh flowers. And so the colors are just exquisite. Every day, new flowers. However, Despite that absolute visual beauty, I will never forget the stench. The stench was absolutely overwhelming because they were piling new on top of old. And if you have ever had the joy of traveling and forgetting that you have flowers in your home and you come back, those rotted flowers smell like nothing that you can possibly imagine. And the way that I described it to my leaders is that unless you as a leader are diligent, about not just adding things that are like fun, exciting, sexy on top of the people that are working for you, unless you're not diligent about completely clearing the slate before you're trying to add a new or clearing the old and dead before you're adding on the new, mm. you can pretty quickly kill your team. Wow. Um, so it's just like that discipline that is needed as a leader because it's easy to get distracted by new. And it's easy not to think about the implications to your people when you aren't actually proactively encouraging that we're looking at what is already there and clearing what is dead and no longer valid. Well, that is a random Super analogy, random. <laughs> but it's power. It's also powerful um, because there's so much truth there because you got to think about your team's capacity. Yeah. And unless you are able to help them create capacity, which might be removing the old reports, the old projects, yeah, the old deals that really aren't that they're pursuing that are never going to happen. Right. How can they have the capacity and space to innovate, to create yeah. new things? And it's so easy for a leader to just be like, hey, here's a new idea. You guys research this. Here, here's a new client lead. You do this. Here's a new operational task. Right. And then they're burdened and the stench right. arises. And, uh, exactly. And, you know, I think that's where it goes back to also my mindset of being a leader. It's like it requires the discipline and being responsible for not just piling stuff on top of human beings, but also giving them like the sense of empowerment that they can come to you and say, hey, this is dead. This is not valid. I'm clearing it. A big thing. I mean, people be we work in the same report for years and they don't ever question it. You know, there might be a better way to do it. They maybe they maybe maybe people need the information, but they don't need it in that level of detail. And someone could free up two hours a week. Right. Uh, but they don't have the courage, or maybe the leaders haven't opened the door for them yeah. to have those con the conversations about sunsetting a, a project or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, you know, Ben, I think it also very much goes to like, I think as leaders, we have to not just allow people to challenge us. We have to encourage them to challenge us 
we, you know, I, I, like I won't say which organization, but I remember arriving at a company and the team that I took over were just fantastic human beings. They were so competent. They were so hardworking, but they were so polite to me. Hmm. And like, I'm a big believer in manners and respect. Like that's absolutely like treat humans the way that you want to be treated. But like, you know, I believe this ethos is my brain is no better than anyone else's. Like it absolutely isn't. And actually shared created brains create the most powerful. And I remember taking over this team and saying, I called this team meeting, it was probably a weekend. And I said, okay, peeps, there's only two reasons I'm going to fire you. And they all looked at me completely <laughs> stuck. Why are you saying this? And I said, one is that you're bad at your jobs. And I said, I can categorically see that is not a thing here. I said, two, is that you agree with me on everything. I don't mm. want you to agree with me on everything. If we all agree with each other, then we're not the right team because we have to be stronger by actually challenging the way that people think. And there was one particular woman on that team that started off the most polite. And like she just became this force of nature. And it was such a beautiful thing to see because she was so competent and so intelligent, but it had almost been like shrouded under, mm. I have to agree with whatever my boss says, which should not be a thing. Oh, powerful. I, I love that. And you opened the door and you made it like their responsibility. Like there are two things that I get you fired. And one is actually, if you come in nodding your head and saying yes to everything I say, they're yeah. like your job's at stake. Yeah. If you, if you agree with everything. It reminds me of a Stephen Covey quote about if you have two people share the same opinion, then one's unnecessary. <laughs> it's true, right? It, I mean, yeah, it's true. And I just like, it gives me so much joy when people challenge me. I'm like, yay, because we're all humans and we all have a brain between our ears. That's so good. Well, I don't want to move on unless... unless move on. Well, yeah. well, I want to create a space for any other random metaphors or analogies you have because that one was a doozy so is there one top that of mind oh gosh i am um, they, they've come to me very like i mean i've like the thing is i use them and then they like kind of just go out of my mind but On i the think they, they, they 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 strike people that i tell them to because um they're like wow actually i can i can see the flower gardens and i can smell the stench and i can right. kind of do that well, to well maybe your first book is going to be like flower market leadership or something like that. Oh my God, I love it. <laughs> so you can do that. Uh, I think I that was it. a cool one. Well, let's, uh, I tell you what, I understand one of the interesting sort of trivia facts about you is that your family, your direct family spread throughout the world, I believe 30 countries they, they cover. Uh, how has your, and, and you were, you grew up Zimbabwe, yeah. you live, you know, in the U S now, but how has this international experience shaped your leadership? Yeah, I think it's a great question. Um, so yeah, I mean, I lived most of my life in one home in Zim. Um, and I went to university in South Africa. And while I was there, Zim crashed economically. So quintillion percent, 23 zeros, which mm. means the price is doubling every day. Hyperinflation. Um, yeah, yeah yes, super hyperinflation. And um the country, there was no running water. There still is not water running through the municipal pipes, uh, no electricity, no fuel. And so my parents decided to spend a couple of years outside of Zim, which became decades. And kind of you know, my sisters went with them. They were still at school. And then 
ended up scattered all over the world. So my family have lived all over the place. But I think for me, and I think this is the interesting thing about travel in general, but I think definitely when you're living in different places, I'm boring, I've only lived in three countries. Um, but <laughs> I think, you know, traveling in general allows you to see other people's perspectives. Like allows you to embrace what is different. Um, it allows you to look at what is different as a strength, not as something to be feared. And I think, you know, we touched on it earlier in our conversation is like, I had already in me empathy. Um, but I think like this, like global perspective, one, I think it's incredibly useful from a business perspective. It's incredibly useful because I have insight and intuition about different cultures um, and how to interact with different cultures, which means, you know, when one company that I worked at, I had teams in 18 different time zones hmm. and like understanding how to converse with different people in those different time zones and different cultures is essential. But I just think like as a leader, we have to be able to see different perspectives. Um, we we really have to be able to take ourselves out from behind our own glasses and put ourselves behind others and put ourselves in their shoes and in their chairs. And I think, you know, combining that with empathy, I think is it's a powerful addition. And I and I, you know, it's commercially and from a human leadership perspective, I think powerful. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. And I can see, I mean, I've lived in the US. Uh, my whole life, but I've traveled and not the extent you have, but man, it sure has opened up my eyes. And I think it's, it's a trend that I've seen in, in a pattern with it, with a lot of the CEOs and presidents like yourself that come on, that they really are open to travel. They encourage that they see value in it yeah. and they prioritize it professionally and personally, and it helps them become a, bring a more global mindset. Right. It really uh, does. So, so good. Want to boost your productivity and decision-making? Get vital insights from each episode delivered directly to your inbox. A great resource whether you've listened to the episode or not. Go to benfanning.com slash insight. Now, I know that you're also passionate about uh, increasing women in leadership. And, yes. you know, globally, women are not represented right. uh, in especially in the C-suite. Yeah. But it's compounded a little bit, I think, because of the sports world. And, yeah. and I think it's interesting that you've, you know, driven deals across all these professional sports agencies for SeatGeek, and you're coming in and you're, probably, <laughs> and you're negotiating <laughs> with a male, right? Every time Absolutely. probably. Yeah. And yeah. how, how what is your, uh, and there's not really like a specific question here, but just asking for your reflections on your passion for women in leadership, uh, negotiating with a, an industry that is often male dominated uh, in the corner office. And uh, what's your, you know, what's been your experience here? Yeah, you know, I think the, um, I, I feel like I inherited this from my father is like, I have this DNA of no fear. Um, and you know, the, the, the same that I imply to the people that work for me with regards to, I'm a human, you're a human, we're the same, like, we are human equals, like, I just happen to have this position, but we're a team, is I apply that same to other people as well. So I don't have this fear of, like, this is who you are, and this is who I am. And so it's going to be an intimidating process. I really think I'm a human and you're a human. So like, Let's, let's operate from that premise. 
I I am also strange. And and this I realize is an, uh, a benefit that I have that I really want to be able to share with other women. And this is why I'm so passionate about it is. So also when I was 23 years old, I decided that I wanted to get onto this board. Um, and the board was eSchools Network. And they put in internet um, and computer labs into underprivileged schools across Africa. So I wanted to get onto that board. Um, I was on that board. And then I became the uh, the vice chair of that board. Um, and I always remember one of the men on that board. So also, it was, so I realized later, it was all men. Um, and there was me. All of them were a good mm. 25 years older than me. And anyway, one of the men on the board said to me, Danielle, like, how, like, I've always wondered, like, how do you seem so comfortable, like, despite the fact that this is all men on this board? And I looked around and I said, I hadn't noticed. Um, and so, like, I, I think there is an, a fearless in me that, like, I want to be able to share. Like, I want to be able to share because I think for us to change the dynamics that we have too few women in leadership. And I think, Ben, it's definitely real in the sports world, but it's, you know, I spent most of my life in technology. It's mm-hmm. definitely real. And I think to me, what's really interesting is there's like, there's all sorts of things that are driving it. But like, I like to be able to like really teach women around what is in their control because there are all sorts of dynamics outside of us that are not in our control. Okay. And when we focus on those, like it, it actually can feel pretty disempowering. It can feel overwhelming um, and it's easily easy to get disparaged. So, you know, the things that I like to talk to women about is that, you know, I don't like to generalize, but this is a fascinating trend is that in general, men will apply for a position where they do not meet 50% of the criteria for that job description. They feel pretty comfortable, like, ah, this is good enough. Like I've got 50%. Women will be much more likely only to apply for a position when they have a hundred percent of the skills listed in a job description. I believe that's backed by research too, from what I can remember. Yep, it is backed by research. And so like that to me has been like absolutely fascinating. So they already are like putting themselves out. So it's like, oh, this leadership position. I mean, to me, maybe I'm problematic like with what I applied for, but 15 years leadership experience and 15 years managing a network and I had zero of both. But I was like, this this looks good. Um, But... Like So in general, women are less likely to apply for the position in the first place. Then over the course of my career, I've interviewed, I don't know, I should I should count at some stage, but let's say I've interviewed a thousand people. Is, and this became very obvious to me. I, this was probably when I was interviewing in a position that I was, I was 30 years old and interviewed. I had to hire, grow a team super fast and I was interviewing prolifically. And I became amazed by this trend, which is still true, and I still see it, is that in a job description, a man of uh, uh, same competence, skill, et cetera, and women of same competence and skill, a man will approach, and I think this is a healthy way of approaching it, a man will approach a job with, this is what I bring to the job, and I also want to get out of the job. So what do I get to learn from the process? So the like you know and in many ways like they will feel like if I've got more than a certain percentage this job was like three jobs behind me like I'm more than good for this so they'll approach it with real confidence a woman will often in an interview and I mean like a shockingly high percentage will explain to me why she is not ready for the job 
She will point out to me the things that she doesn't have. She will not focus on the things that she does have. For me, those two things are absolutely within a woman's control once they bring awareness to what they're doing, like all sorts of other dynamics that are not in their control. But those dynamics, like focus on what they focus on, focus on what are they choosing to focus on in their conversation with a hiring manager, what you have or what you don't have. Right. And, And the interesting thing is like, why would you get into an interview and then tell the person this is not like you shouldn't hire me. And because that essentially is the subconscious mm. message. Don't hire me. I'm ready for this. And so like, I'll, I'll just say, Hey, I just wanted to call out something you just did. I don't know if you noticed, but you were just telling me not to hire you. Do you want to try that again? Um, and so I, I, I think it is, it's fascinating. Yes. Um, but like, you know, I think as women, it's like, what is in your power to change? Okay, start thinking what you get to learn. Like if you fill the box on day one, you're going to grow out of the box on day two. So how how are you going to think about what do I get to get out of this equation? What's the fair exchange of value? I'm going to bring you my amazing skills, my work ethic. What do I get out of the equation? I need to learn and grow too. Such a powerful example of, Focusing on what you can't control. Yes. And you in the job interview, it's too late to focus on your job experience because that's already baked in. Right. Focus on your perspective. It's like the glass full versus half empty approach. Uh, and that goes across gender, right? It, yeah, there may be tendencies, does. but absolutely hey, does. Focus it, that conversation. Focus right. that conversation. Um, such great, great leadership thing. We and and I haven't even gotten to half my questions, by the way. <laughs> We're not going to have time for all that. That's cool. That's uh, cool. Uh, before, I'll have to do a second one here. But a uh, question, what's like a memorable moment for you um, since you've been there at SeatGeek in your interactions with the with the sports industry and in those negotiations? Any Any big learning or lessons for leaders that you picked up along the way? I am... Um... Leadership is really an act of service. It really is an act of service. You shouldn't sign up for a leadership position if it is for you about the power and the glory. And, you know, Ben, I think about it as a ripple effect. And this this concept of a ripple effect is something that's become very real to me in my time at SeatGeek is, you know, it's it's very human to want to have like a big impact and uh, big social media presence and and whatever it is and and think about like, how do I impact the world in that way? But I think as humans um, is like our true ripple effect is driven by the interactions that we have one-on-one with the humans that we speak with every day. Hmm. And that may be, that may be your Uber driver. It may be someone that is clearing trash. It may be someone on your team. It's like, who are the humans? And all of them count. Who are the humans that you get to interact with? And what is the ripple effect that you are sending out into the world? Because that like energetic pass is going to send something on. Like, And are you choosing to either send on a positive ripple effect or a negative ripple effect. And I think the thing that we can't forget as a leader is our ripple effect is so much larger. Hmm. Is we are really setting like the feeling of tone and culture. We are really allowing uh, disrespect or making sure that we have respect within our teams. And I think that, you know, that ripple effect is like every individual within your team is then having, passing that on to their families um, and to their children. Hmm their partners and so like 
being really cognizant of like, what is my emotional state? And how am I really diligent about my emotional hygiene so that what I am passing on to my team is, and that doesn't mean you're not going to be human because as a leader, you are also a human and you're going to have good days and bad days, but it's like, how do I, how am I really aware of myself so that I can be aware of my ripple effect? And I think like this, this has become Mm. felt really real to me. And it's probably also driven by COVID is like I have realized how deeply important human connection is like and like the moment of being kind and the moment of being respectful Um, and that doesn't as a leader take you away from having difficult conversations with your team you have to in fact they need it they need to know that you're actually caring about them enough that you're willing to have a difficult conversation but you can do it with kindness and you can do Mm. it with respect and you absolutely should well leaders can get caught going through the motions. Mm -hmm. Uh, And what you just said, that example is a great grounding device. I think for leaders to think about, okay, I'm interacting, you know, with Danielle today, but she's going to go home after her work day to her friends and family and how her day went is going to directly impact how she interacts with them, which in, which, impacts the next generation of leaders yes and it's it's really uh it is grounding i I think that's the word that really feels to me you know know, you're really having a broader impact as you say the ripple effect and so if you can learn to have those difficult conversations with kindness and compassion but also clear and direct i think that's that's next level leadership yeah, it is. And I think like that's what you have to sign up for. And you know, it's fine. You know, there's an old quote from Panasonic that I loved, which is the quest for zero defect. It's like you may never get there, but keep keep that as your North Star as a leader. Like keep that. And if you fall off the track, get right back on the track because that's what you're signing up for. A great place to wrap this up. Danielle, thank you for coming on the show today. It's such a pleasure, Ben. Thank you for the open, fun conversation. If you're an executive at a crossroads in your career and thinking about quitting, do this before you do anything else. Head over to benfanning.com slash quit to receive a free signed copy of my number one best-selling book, The Quit Alternative, The Blueprint for Creating the Job You Love Without Quitting. You'll learn the critical questions you must answer before you make such an impactful decision. Go to benfanning.com slash quit to get this valuable resource for just the cost of shipping. Ben Fanning is a number one best-selling author, Inc. Magazine columnist, and CEO of the Fanning Group, an international consultancy and corporate training company. To learn how they can help your organization, go to benfanning.com.